Welcome to Chapters of Motherhood. This is a weekly podcast about this hashtag mom life that is motherhood with all the struggles, chaos, and true blessings that come with the title mom. I am your host, Veronica. At 17 years old, I became a mom for the first time. And at 41, I had a water birth for my fifth baby. The goal of this podcast is to share with you my motherhood experience and hopefully help you realize that you are not alone in your own mom life journey. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, working mom, or a single mom, from potty training struggles, bedtime snuggles, and everything in between, the good, the bad, and the ugly, I share your frustrations and your joys. Every week is a different chapter of motherhood. Before we get started, I wanted just to give you first a trigger warning uh, to let you know that we are talking about sexual assault that resulted in an unplanned pregnancy. We do talk about uh, possible abortion and a lot of mental health issues as well with the military. And my guest happened to be in between work and her audio, I try to clean up her audio as much as I could. So please bear with me with the audio. But this is a very inspirational story about just about her motherhood story and and keeping the baby from a sexual assault and finally reaching out and asking for some mental health help. Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Chapters Motherhood podcast. I am your host, Veronica, and today we are joined by Ashlyn. She is doing her military duty for the Air Force, and she is a mom of four, and she's here today to uh, tell us about her motherhood journey. Welcome, Ashlyn. Hello. How are you? Great. So it's Memorial Day weekend, and you're working, and so am I. So... (laughs) At least everyone's being safe, hopefully. Yes. Uh, Ashlyn, go ahead. Tell me about your motherhood journey. So when I was 20, I gave birth to my first son. I was in college at the time. I was a med student. Um, so we kind of grew up together, still growing up together. He turns 13 this year. So, you know, having young was difficult. When he was four and a half, I gave birth to his first younger brother, and um, <laughs> that was difficult in itself because with my with my first son Hunter, that's his name. I did it alone. I didn't have a like partner. Um, his dad wasn't in the picture. He chose to walk away. So with Owen, who's my second, his dad and I were married, and like going through the birthing process with a partner, kind of like changed it for me because I was like, oh, well, (laughs) this is what you're supposed to do. This is what it feels like to give birth in a room with a partner. (laughs) Then a year and about 18 months later, I gave birth to my third son. And again, you know, my husband, well, now ex-husband was there in the room. But yeah, I had planned on only having three children. So that was my life. Um, I was parenting three children and then I moved to Colorado That was probably a year after, you know, I got married and gave birth to my first son. You know, can I tell you, Ashley, um, that's when I started following you is when you had your third son, but I thought he was your second and then uh, Hunter's a lot older, right? But that's when I started following you and you were talking about nursing and you were talking about the medical field. And I thought, oh, cool. And I was just, it just reminded me because your third son is, I think, as old as mine third child or actually she's my fourth as old as Emily about eight will be seven this yeah. year 
Yeah. Yeah. So then I remember watching you and thinking, oh, cool. Okay. Let's see her. And you're so funny. You're just funny. And so I don't know why I started following you. I just thought you were funny. And then, like I said, your son was right around the same age as mine. So I'm like, oh, let's follow her. Let's see what she does. Oh yeah. It's been really fun. I was really, I'm an introvert. So I'm like super quiet, but like, um, when I moved to Colorado, I didn't have any family or friends. And so I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll just let my personality be that. And yeah, it just went from there. But after the birth of my third son, I just like something in me changed. And I realized that like, I didn't want to be married anymore. Um, you know, like his family was like very verbally and emotionally abusive. And so I was trying to get a divorce and he had said, well, I got a divorce. He would take the kids away from me. So I stayed, Um, you know, I stayed for five more years. And then in 2019, I, or 2018, excuse me, I made the rash decision to join the air force. Um, I just woke up one morning and I was like, I can't be married anymore. Like I can't do this. Like my only other option was to like join the air force. And so I woke up and I put on some clothes and I went to a recruiter and I was like, I want to join and I want to join today. There's no option. Like it's today or nothing. (laughs) And he was like, Mm -hmm. Oh, so, um, I didn't tell my ex-husband what I was doing until like I swore in. So once I was like sworn in and like I signed the paperwork, like I was in and there was no getting out, no backing out. Yeah. Oh, back and I was like, okay, well, I joined the Air Force. And he was so mad. But like, I didn't tell him I joined to get a divorce. I told him like afterwards, like after I had like gotten my divorce. But like, I was really excited to join because I knew that like my nursing career would like take off mm-hmm. and I wouldn't have to pay for nursing school, it would be paid for. And I was so excited mm-hmm. and left for basic training. And I, I did great. It was fun and I enjoyed it. And then I went to tech school and while I was in tech school, that's kind of when like havoc started at my home. I was suffering from depression and he was, it was just, my house was on fire basically at home and I was starting to regret my decision joining, but I was too far in and I couldn't quit. Well, there is no quitting. (laughs) It's like you sign paperwork, so you're going to be here. So I think I was in tech school for probably just a couple of weeks and tech school for people who like don't know military. It's basically you go to learn your job. So my job's aircraft, airplanes. And so I went to another installation, a military base to learn my job. So basically from seven to four every day, I'm learning how to do my job. But I was probably only there three weeks and, um, you know, my life took a, a drastic, like 360, it, it changed like that day forever changed, you know, the course of my life, I was assaulted. Um, and, uh, you know, that's how I have my fourth child and my daughter, um, who is two, almost three, but that's how I have her. And so, um, like navigating life with three children and then, you know, navigating life with four was like a massive change for me, I guess. Cause like two to three kids was kind of easy because like I knew what I was doing, but then like you're navigating your, your life is changing from three to four, but you're also, but for me, I was suffering depression and I had like postnatal depression 
me. And I had, you know, I, my pregnancy was super complicated. Um, I had like, I had severe morning sickness. Plus I was, I had gotten stationed in Colorado. So I was like trying to learn all of this and I was getting a divorce and I moved, I moved from Denver, this town that I was living in to Colorado Springs, which is where I now live, you know, and I kept my assault a secret. So nobody knew, nobody knew I was pregnant except for me. Um, and I was actually very, I was far along when I got, when I got home, cause I got home in May, the end of May. And I was like 15, 16 weeks ish, give or take. And nobody knew. Like I was afraid to tell people because it's like, um, I didn't want to get in trouble because, you know, and even to this day, like I still blame myself for my assault because I made the decision to like go off base and have a drink in a bar and I didn't know anybody and I went by myself, um, you know, and so it was just like a difficult transition for me. There was just so much going on in your life at that time. It was just another, now I got to hide this because you feel responsible and it's not your fault. I'm sure you've heard it. You've, you've heard it over and over again. It's not your fault, but at the same time, it's like you, you have feelings of if I would have just stayed right. And it's not your fault. I'll just spill this out. I do trauma therapy. So I just recently started trauma therapy and I hear that every day, like every day you know, my psychiatrist is like, it's not your fault. And I was like, it doesn't matter how many times you tell me that. Like it, like it doesn't change, I guess, the way that I feel about it. And they were like, well, in time, you know, like you'll see that it wasn't your fault. Like you may have made the decision to do what you did, but that didn't give that person permission to like touch you or right. you know, do the things that they did to you. And I was like, well, you know, if you put it that way, it makes right but after that like my life changed being a single parent to four and two of my children are special needs so like just navigating and parenting them in general is hard but then when you throw COVID into the mix (laughs) Mm -hmm. it it was like a bomb went off because like it was the hardest challenge I have ever faced (laughs) Um, because my daughter was born right at the beginning of COVID. So I was like, well, I guess we're all stuck together and we're going to have to learn to love each other. Um, but yeah. And then, oh gosh, it was hectic. It was hectic. <laughs> yeah. Can I tell you something? Um, so when I saw that you joined and <laughs> I swear, I think I was along for the ride when it happened, when you're like, I did something today. And I was like, oh my God, she actually joined. And I remember thinking like, we don't, we don't know each other. We don't talk to each other, but we see, we've been watching each other grow. Right. Cause we right. met on, we met on Instagram and like, for me, it was about the kids, but like, I've been watching you grow. And I remember thinking like, that is so cool. I've always wanted to be in the air. I've actually always wanted to be a psychiatrist for the air force. That's been my lifelong dream. Never too late. <laughs> Never too late. Yeah. So when I saw, I'm like, oh, that's so cool. And then um, I didn't know. I didn't know what was going on. So my assumptions were like, that's so cool. She's going to, you know, get a career. She's going to do it through nursing for the Air Force. She's going to, you know, provide for her children and her husband must be support. Because I was thinking, right, 
her husband must be supportive. Everything must be going, you know, the way that she wants to. And then I started seeing that you were having fun and you were really enjoying yourself. And then something happened that I didn't know, just you weren't as happy. And I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> and it and it did. Like I could see you like being sad. And me, I'm trained to see it. So I saw it. I'm like, she looks depressed you know, what's going on with her. And I didn't really know, and I didn't pry. So I just left it. And then little by little, you know, you were showing your pregnancy. I'm like, Oh, congratulations. But she's not making a big deal out of it this time. You know? And I thought, what's, what's happening? Like, Oh, was her husband not on board? Like, and I started making up my own stories. I started making up my own stories and thinking like, Oh, did she have an affair? What happened? I don't get it. Like, and I never knew. (laughs) And I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I was making up my own Filling in the blanks is what I was trying to do. And it's funny that you mentioned that because um, everybody assumed that I, that I had had an affair. That was the number one assumption that everybody made, even at my shop, like the shop that I work at on base. Everybody was afraid to talk to me because they all assumed that I had had an affair. So one day we had like a come to Jesus moment. And, um, cause I was just like, why I'm 30 years old and we're all adults. Like, why are you guys not treating me like an adult? Like, why are you treating me differently? And one of my coworkers was like, you fair and what you did was wrong. And I was like, okay, no. Um, if you guys are comfortable with me sharing my story, I'll gladly share it. So I shared it and everyone got this like washed out look on their face And they were like, oh, and it's like, see, this is why I don't tell people what happened because you guys go pale and then you, I can see the wheels turning, but you don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. And like, all you can say is I'm sorry. And it's like, I honestly hate that phrase. And I'm sorry because it doesn't fix anything. And uh, after that, like my whole shop, they were supportive and they were understanding and, um, you know, and they were just like, if you need anything, please let us know, which really helped me because I didn't have anybody here. Like I didn't have support. I was doing it on my own, you know? And so after that, I realized it was like, if I talk about this, if I open up, like maybe not only can I like help myself, maybe I can help other people. Mm -hmm. Um, So I downloaded TikTok for the first time back in August of last year, August of 2020. And then I just started like sharing my story and I started like being weird and like just goofing off. And uh, like I started sharing like my depression story, you know, like my, my soul. And it's like, if I can help other people, then like, I want to do that. So then I went, I went to nursing school and I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. I want to help people. And so here I am, you know, talking about, you know, my life and, you know, as intrusive as it is, like, it kind of helps me. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like other people come forward and they're like, you helped me report what happened to me. And it's like, you helped me like get therapy for my trauma and stuff like that. And uh, so I was like, wow, if that makes me feel good because like my story is helping other people. Because, I mean, like, sexual assault in the military is huge. It's huge, and it's so hush-hush. And it gets ignored. It gets, like, 
swept under the rug or people get like paid off. And I use quotes, air quotes when I said paid off, but it's like, I don't understand why it's like that because like suicide is really big in the military too. And a lot of that is from depression and people are going through things and they feel like they can't talk to people. Like for me recently, um, March, April, and May are the three hardest months for me. Like I go into this like depressive shutdown mode. And this year it hit really hard because uh, my ex fiance and I broke up. And so like early May, I like lost it. And I had a massive mental breakdown to the point where um, I was admitted. I was put on a 72 hour hold. As much as I fought it and I didn't want to go, uh, it helped me. Mm-hmm. Like it helped me get the medication that I needed, and it ultimately helped me get my therapy because now I see a psychiatrist and a social worker, and I I do trauma therapy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, next week I have to start an inpatient treatment, which I have to go to a hospital Monday through Friday all day. And I am seen by like a psychiatrist and they like treat me and, you know, it's basically like you're in the hospital on a hold, but you get to go home at the end of the day. At the end. It's like a very intensive outpatient. Right. And they do like, is it EDMR therapy? I think I said that correctly. They do like that therapy and then they do like cognitive behavioral therapy. Basically, I'm going through all of these therapies to see which one works the best. So this is by far the worst it's ever, like, you know, that I've ever suffered from. Like, I never properly dealt with my trauma in 2019. I swept it under the rug. I was taking care of my kids. I was doing what I needed to do. So I didn't heal properly, you know, and this with my fiance, my ex-fiance thing, and then just like dealing with the anniversaries of all of that stuff like my body went numb and then I was like, I don't want to be here anymore. Um, I need help. And so I started just calling everybody I could to like get help. (laughs) And eventually like someone answered and here I am. But it just sucks that the expense of getting help, I literally lost basically everything. So how do you feel about that? Having to lose everything in order to get help? Um, at first I felt lost. Um, you know, when I, when I got divorced, I didn't really grieve that because I was insanely happy. Mm-hmm. I was happy it had ended. Like I didn't want to be a part of that anymore. Um, and in 2021, like I met the love of my life. Like I honestly thought that, and, um, I was happy and I thought, you know, I was like, yes, this is it. I'm going to finally be happy with someone that I love. And, um, you know, it, it didn't work out that way. We broke up in April and he immediately started dating somebody else. Right. Um, You know, and And I, you know what, let me, let me, let me let you know, you know that that has nothing to do with you, right? It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. I feel it's more of when a man does this, it's more of like, I can't help you. I feel less than a man to help you. And here's somebody who's a lot easier to deal with. So it has nothing to do with you and it has everything to do with him not being able to give you exactly what you need, which is fine. Cause if he's not going to be there a hundred percent, 
you don't need him to be there 20% of the time. You want him there a hundred percent. Right. And I mean, a lot, like a, a failed relationship is two people. It's like, I had a lot of insecurities and, you know, I didn't talk about my trauma with him because I didn't want him to truly like see that side of me because I didn't want him to think I was dirty and that I was, you know, damaged and all of this stuff. And it's like, ultimately that's what kind of, like, I didn't fully open up to him. And, you know, he was just like, why can't you do that? And I tried to explain that to him and, you know, I broke up with them and I was having a mental crisis and I tried to explain that and I tried to fix it. Oh my gosh. I tried to fix it, but he had emotionally connected with another female, another woman short, like literally the night we broke up, he downloaded Tinder and, you know, instead of talking to me and trying to fix it with me, he spoke to this other woman. And when he came home to Colorado, he was with her. Um, Instead of coming home to a family and me, he went home to her, you know, and at first I was like, why am I not good enough? Like, what is wrong with me? I was like, you know, how can I fix myself? And I cried a lot about it. And it was just like, I was, I started going to therapy because I was like, well, I don't know how to fix myself. So maybe someone else can fix me. You know, Tuesday, he ultimately told me, he was like, I don't want to be with you. Uh, He was like, I'm with, insert her name. I'm not going to say it, but um, he's like, I'm with her. And I was like, why couldn't you tell me that two months ago? Like I could have avoided a lot of like unnecessary, you know, stuff. Had you just been honest with me from the beginning, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, here I am holding on to hope and trying to heal and trying to fix my relationship with someone that I love and that I truly want to be with. But yet you had already made up your mind, you know, and I, I got my closure that night and now I don't cry anymore. It's like, okay, well, he doesn't want to be with me. So now I have to put my big girl panties on and like move on, but I'm not ready to date. Like I don't want to. Um, So I've been dating myself. (laughs) Which is great. It's great to date yourself, fall in love with yourself. It's like, like I've been doing things that like I've dreaded doing. I love Marvel movies and um, I wanted to see the new Doctor Strange movie but we had made plans to go together and, um, you know, we're not together anymore. And I was like, I couldn't bring myself to go watch it. And so I was like, well, whatever, like, I want to see this movie. I'm going to go watch this movie. So I took myself out and I went to the movies and I watched Dr. Strange and I loved it, you know? And it's like, I love sushi and my favorite place here in Colorado Springs has him attached because we always went together. And I dreaded going because I like that memory was attached and it's like, no, this is my favorite sushi place. I love sushi. I'm going to go, you know? So I've taken myself, like I'm doing small things, but they're things that I love to do that I let myself stop doing. And I think that was like, that was bad for me. Because, I mean, if that's the case, then I should really stop doing everything because there's a memory literally attached to like everything that I do. True. And it's something so small, but yet so powerful to do for yourself. Yes, I have been getting to know myself all over again. And I know that sounds like 
weird to hear like dating yourself. Well, how do you date yourself? It's like, well, when you go through something so traumatic, your life changes. Like you're not that person anymore, you know, and I will never be who I was before my assault. Like I have fully like understood and realized that I will never be her again. And for the longest time I was mad and angry that I could never be her. But I look at myself now that I've been through, you know, the three years of the stuff that I've been through and it's like, I'm still alive. You know, I could have easily have given up and I didn't give up. Um, you know, I'm still here and I'm alive and I have four amazing kids. Um, yes, my relationship my engagement failed, but that is not a representation of like who I am. You know, I can't let that define me. So it's like, I'm going through all of these like grieving and trauma therapies to try to like, to help that because I need to love myself. And if I don't love myself, then what does the rest of my life look like? So it's like, I'm doing these small little things to like remind myself that I am strong and that I am going to be okay. And like, I'm terrible with affirmations. Like I don't understand them. And sometimes like I'm sitting there and I'm like, I am strong. I am beautiful. I am. And then I'm like, what is wrong with you? Why are you saying this to yourself? And it's like, but no, like I am strong. Um, You know, I am beautiful. I am patient. I am kind. I am loving. Like I am a mother. I'm a strong woman and, you know, it's like, wow, I really am. Like I've made it this far. I've done so much and I've done it all on my own. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, okay. (laughs) Like, here we go. You have have done it all (laughs) on your own. As much as you've gone through, as young as you are, you've gone through a lot and you do it with a smile. Like nobody really like strangers like me don't really know. And then hearing you, I'm like, man, you're strong. Yeah, of course you're strong. And you are worthy and you are beautiful. And you're all of that. I, and you know what? Can I say one more thing? And then coming back to your daughter, you chose to keep your daughter where, can we talk about that? Um, yes. So in my trauma therapy this morning, I actually had to talk about that. So when I, I found out I was pregnant on May 5th, Like I say, my life changed on March 30th, but my, like my life also changed on May 5th because like it confirmed basically my worst fear that like what happened to me was real. And now I have this fetus growing inside of me and I don't know what to do. Like I'm very, like it's a woman's body she should choose what happens but I'm also very much of like terrified to get an abortion because I didn't want people to think negatively about me I was currently stationed in Texas where abortion was semi-illegal and if you're in the military like TRICARE won't pay for it Uh, but like I did extensive research before like I made any decision And so, cause I already knew that I wasn't going to keep her. I was going to like either get an abortion or give her up for adoption because like mentally I was not capable of raising her. But when I got home on May 26th, I was too far along per Colorado law to get an abortion. 
Um, and because my pregnancy at that point was still viable, there wasn't a medical reason for an abortion. And again, I was active duty. So, you know, TRICARE won't pay for an abortion. And most clinics here require you to pay up front. And it was a lot of money that I like didn't have at the moment to like throw at an abortion. So like, I obviously didn't get one, but I just kind of went through the pregnancy numb and I was terrified to give birth and I found an amazing couple to adopt her. But because I was technically still legally married, my divorce wasn't finalized until June. I had to get his permission to sign the paperwork um, and he didn't want to sign it. He said that it was my problem and I needed to figure the solution out myself. Um, Basically making me raise my daughter. So I didn't really have a choice. (laughs) Um, And I was pretty close to delivery. So this was in December. I gave birth to her December 29th. So December 20th is when he was like, no, it's your problem. Like you figure the solution out yourself. And that was just like his final way of punishing you. Yeah. So because I know it doesn't make sense, but my divorce was finalized in June. Like I'm, I was still going through a custody battle. So I needed those custody papers and the like parenting plan and stuff to like, complete my divorce. So technically like everything that happened in between then was still like considered in a marriage. Like I couldn't change my name. Um, so I, you know, like I still had to stick with my married name during all of this, like the paperwork and the adoption agency still required me to have his signature. Yeah. And then nine days later, I, I gave birth. And, um, it wasn't ideal because like, that's not like, that's not how I saw it happening. Um, I gave birth alone. Um, my daughter was born premature and she was born basically dead. She was not breathing. She was like purple. Um, and then in the middle of my C-section, I crashed. Um, I had lost a lot of blood, like my body was rejecting, like, cause they had placed an IUD in post my C-section and my body was rejecting that. So it just kept bleeding. Mm. Um, and so I was dying and she was dying, like she was dying. Um, and I don't remember anything after that. Um, I felt I passed out in the surgery and I woke up in a recovery room and like, there were a million nurses around me, but no one was talking about my daughter. So I didn't know if she was alive. I didn't know if she was dead. Like, I didn't know anything about her. And like I said, I was alone. So it was terrifying and it was scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it wasn't until probably like a day after they were like, your daughter's alive. Um, wow. She's on oxygen. She's, you know, she's not a hundred percent but she is alive. And I remember just going, Oh, like there were no feelings or emotions like for that. And that like, and the nurses saw that like, and it was kind of, they were kind of taken aback by that because they were like, why don't you care about your baby? Why would you say that? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, um, so they called in a chaplain, which in the military is like, 
basically like a priest or who, like depending on your religion, like you can get someone to come in and talk to you. And, um, a chaplain come in, like he came in and spoke to me and he was like, I heard you're having some issues. Do you want to talk about it? And I was like, I don't want to take her home. Um, like I, I don't want to take care of her. I don't like, I literally have nothing for her. Um, and he was like, well, why don't you want to take her home? And I, you know, I told him the story and he was like, I don't, I don't blame you. Like, I don't under, like, I, like, I get it. Um, and so I got discharged pretty early on. I think I was in the hospital for like just a couple of days, but she had to stay, you know, she had some issues, but I didn't want her to go to another home where I would never like see her or like know how she was doing. And so, um, I called my aunt and I was like, I need help. Like I need a car seat. And I was like, what do I do? Like, how do, like, how do I do this? I've had kids before, but it's like having a premature baby and like a baby that's on oxygen and will require like so much care. And she was like, go buy a car seat. (laughs) She was like, just go buy one and go pick up your baby. And so I like went and bought a car seat (laughs) and I went, like, I went to the hospital and I picked her up and then I brought her home and it's like, I couldn't pick her up. Like I just left her, she was asleep, but I just like left her in that car seat. Like I was like, I couldn't nurse her and I couldn't, like, I, I just felt like I couldn't take care of her. Um, and so I was scared, but like one night, like she was screaming and I just like picked her up and I was like, well, I guess you're mine now. And you know, like, I started nursing her and, you know, and I, I didn't bond with her during pregnancy because I didn't want her. Mm -hmm. Um, so there was like, no, I didn't like, there was no bond between us because she was on oxygen and she required care. Like a nurse would come take care of her at home, make sure she was doing well. And this was like every six hours or so. And I remember the nurse, one of the nurses was like, I'm going to stay here till you pick her up. Like, I'm going to stay here until you feel comfortable with her. And I think she stayed here for like almost a full day because like, I couldn't take, I was like, I didn't want to. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds really bad, but like, if you've ever been in that situation, like, I feel like those were appropriate emotions and feelings, you know, but now she's two and I wouldn't trade her for the world. I mean, some days are hard, but like, I'm glad I'm the one taking care of her because like, I just know that she's safe with me. And I love her and her brothers. She has three big brothers and they all love her. Yeah. It, it's been an emotional roller coaster with her, especially when she got like all of her like diagnosis for being partially blind and deaf. And she has some neurological issues. Like I blamed myself for those. Cause I was like, well, if I would have just taken care of myself during pregnancy, like maybe she would be okay. And everyone is like, this has nothing to do with you. Right. Like, don't blame yourself. And it's like, I can't like, I, I feel like for me, I will always blame myself for her being the way that she is. Well, emotionally, because you're, because you can't really separate the emotions from the physical. So physically there's, there is nothing that you could have done. Right. But emotionally (laughs) you're feeling like, well, if I would have like connected, had that bond, we don't know. 
we don't know. What about all the babies that are, that do have that bond and do have that connection and they're still born with all these problems. Right. You know, I understand what you mean. And I don't think there's anything that I can say that's going to make you feel better about that time that has to come from within, right? Which is great that you're doing the therapy, which is great that you're doing trauma therapy, because I was going to ask you, do you, how do you deal with the PTSD? Because I'm sure there is. Um, so I self-diagnosed myself, <laughs> which being a medical professional, you you should know not to self-diagnose, but I did because like I was having flashbacks. I was having the typical symptoms of someone who has PTSD, you know? So I like self-diagnosed and I saw my physician, like just my regular doctor and they put me on Zoloft and it worked for a little bit. You know, I was like, I don't need to deal with the trauma because I'm on Zoloft and it's working. I'm not having nightmares. I'm sleeping great. Like I'm, I'm fine. But then, like I said, you know, this year with it, like specifically this year, not sure what about it, but like it was extra tough. But then I was formally diagnosed with PTSD and it's on paper now. And so I can get those appropriate therapies and trauma therapy is one of them. Cause a lot of like the root cause of PTSD is trauma, whether it be like, if you've been deployed in the military, if you've been in a horrific car accident, or if you've been assaulted, those still all carry the same characteristics to have PTSD. So I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Now that I'm diagnosed, you guys are throwing all of these things at me that I did not know existed. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they were like, we want you to do trauma therapy because we think that you would benefit from this. So I started today, like today was my first official treatment for trauma, like for PTSD. Uh, And it was insanely rough um, because you, you have to talk about what happened to you. And it's like, I hate talking about it because it just like, it hurts. Like that hurt will never go away. And they were like, well, the more that you talk about it and the more that you learn to process it in healthy ways, like that hurt won't be there anymore. Like instead of it being in the front of your mind, it'll be in the back of your mind. Mm -hmm. Like it'll be just a tiny little memory as opposed to like flashbacks and, you know, night terrors and all of this stuff. And I was like, okay, then I'll do that. But I'm really impatient (laughs) when it comes to this because like I've been dealing with it for so long and I'm like, I just want it to stop. Mm-hmm. So I'm impatient and I'm like, okay, it needs to stop right now today at the second, like, can we do this? Right. They're like, no, you need six weeks at most, if not longer. And I was like, you're going to make me go through this every day for six weeks. I was like, well, I'm either going to come out a really strong willed person. or I'm going to come out some grumpy person <laughs> who hates the world. And I just want to watch it burn. But Hopefully that's not it. Yeah. Well, hopefully (laughs) you'll recover well, right? That's the goal. Um, You want to repeat it until it just becomes just a story like any other story. Like I went down to the market and I picked up spoiled milk. Whoops. Right? Yeah. And it's mind boggling to think like, no, there was an actual assault that happened. You know, this isn't like picking up milk, but you want to get to the point where it's like that happened. Now I'm, now I'm moving on. 
Right. That's exactly what they've been saying. Like they want me to talk about it to where it just becomes a like conversation that you're having instead of like dread basically. Yeah. And what you've been doing for these last three years of like, it'll just go away on its own. It's, it's not, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And now that you kind of were shielded, right? Because you didn't talk about it. You didn't let anybody know Um, the world shut down as soon as the baby was born, you were able to spend all that time without anybody prying in right now that the world's getting back to normal. This is why it's hitting you because now the world's back to normal. Now people are prying. Now people are asking. Now I have to go out. Now I have to do things. Yeah. And, you know, I, going back to like my relationship, my ex-fiance, like I told him like from the very beginning, you know, like I have trauma. I was assaulted. Like this is what happened to me, you know? And I think at first he was like pretty perceptive. Like he was understanding, but like, he hadn't been with me during an episode or like a flashback or, you know, like something like that. He hadn't been with me through any of that. And then one night I had had a nightmare and, you know, he was home and like he did the best he could, but he didn't know how to like handle it. And it's because I didn't like, I didn't talk to him about it. And um, I would have flashbacks and it's like, when I would have those flashbacks, like I would shut down or like I would sit down and like, I would, read a book or something to like keep my mind busy. And he took it as like, I didn't want to be with him or like I was ignoring him. Like it didn't matter like how hard I tried to explain to him what was going on. It was only like his way, his vision and like how he saw it. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's hard to explain, you know, to people like how I'm feeling or like what's going on because I'm always afraid that they're going to be like, Oh, well you can just get over it. Whatever, just smile and be happy. You know? And it's like, that's not a fix all like that doesn't, that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Um, And honestly, I'm, I'm terrified to like ever date again because I don't like, I don't want to have to explain to someone that, you know, I have PTSD and I have flashbacks and this is what's wrong with me. And like, if I shut down, this is how you should handle it because they're going to be like, no, I don't want to deal with you because I feel like that's exactly what happened with my ex is he like, when he saw the real me, he was like, I don't want to deal with this, Mm -hmm. you know? And he bailed basically. um, And he found someone who doesn't have this. So I was just like, okay, well, I can't help that I have PTSD and like, I can't help what happened to me. Like I can't, like I had no control over that. And so I don't understand why people use that against you, Mm -hmm. you know, especially in like relationships. They're like, no, that's disgusting. That's gross. And it's like, well, it's really not, you know, but I mean, if that's how you view it, then I can't control that. Right. And I don't think that it's something that is for everybody to understand. If you've been through it, you understand it, you know, somebody who's been through it and and lived it with them. Most people just want to believe the boogeyman does not exist. You know, get over it. The boogeyman does not exist, but it's like, you've never danced with them. I have. So it's hard to make people understand like this is real and it's flashbacks. Like it may not be happening right now, but in your whole body, it feels like it's, it's happening at that moment. Right. And it's, and I've tried to explain this to people like the best way I know how. And it's like, when you 
have these demons inside of you, whether it be like depression or PTSD or addiction or, you know, um, whatever it is that you are fighting, like, it's not easy to just like smile, um, you know, and if someone is smiling and they're battling with this, like they're not in a good place. And I'm speaking strictly from like my experience. Like if I'm smiling while I'm plotting to like, I'm going to say unalive myself, that's not a good sign because that means that I am numb. There's nothing there and I'm not in a good place, you know? And it's like, they always say like the happiest people are depressed and it's like, well, the only reason why we're the happiest is because like, we know that if we tell you we're not okay, you're just going to say, oh, we'll just be happy, Mm -hmm. you know, and coming from someone who has depression and who has heard, well, why don't you just be happy? And it's like, oh, okay, well, great idea. (laughs) Why didn't you tell me that like three years ago? Like I totally would have done that three years ago. You know, that's like telling an addict, well, don't do that. Okay. Stop drinking. Yeah. You know, it's not really that easy. And, um, you know, it's like these demons that I'm fighting, like it's not, it's not easy. Like I can defeat one, but then I have like 30 other ones in line and it takes a toll on you. Eventually you get tired of fighting and you give up. And ultimately, you know, I reached that point where I had given up and the only thing keeping me alive were my children. Like I didn't want them to live a life without their mother. And I was afraid of that. And so, you know, I reached out and I was like, I need help. I don't care what it is or how I get it, but I need help. I can't feel this way anymore because what I'm feeling is nothing. And I don't want to be here. Can I ask you, how do you feel the military um, has supported you? I know you're running out of time. I know you got to get back. No, you're good. Okay, good. Really quickly, um, how do you feel the military is supporting you in this? Because in the past, I don't think they have. So in the past, when I like brought up like mental health struggles, they were like, okay, well, here's a source, go talk to them. Or here's a chaplain, go talk to the chaplain. And I was like, okay, fresh, new to the military. I was like, okay, great. Like, I'm going to get help. Like, this is going to be fantastic. And I remember talking to one mental health advocate and she looked at me and she said, I'm recommending you for discharge. And I was like, what? Like, I, I'm just Mm -hmm. depressed. Like I've postpartum depression. Like, what am I doing wrong? Mm -hmm. And so I stopped, like I stopped asking for help. And this was 2020. So this was like the beginning of 2020. Like I stopped. I stopped asking for help. I stopped talking to like people um, because I didn't want them to find out that I was depressed and I was going through all this stuff because I didn't want to like get discharged or like kicked out because mental health is a stigma. Like, Mm -hmm. like if you're mental, if you're mentally ill or if you have anything like you don't deserve to be in the military and it's like, well, that's not true. Um, I mean, I know plenty of people who are in the military and they take antidepressants or medication for anxiety, you know, but eventually I did speak up. I spoke up in May. I called my commander and I was like, I need help. What do I do? 
and he put me on a, so he had like discretion to like put me on a 72 hour hold. So they signed a bunch of paperwork and I got put on a hold and I went to the hospital, um, army hospital and they have a behavioral health unit. Um, and so that's where I went and I spent three days there and, you know, it was hard, but it's a bunch of military personnel who are there to help you. And they were very patient and they were very kind and it's, it's veterans. Like some of the technicians are veterans who have like PTSD and stuff. And they come in and they like teach you how to cope and how to like maintain a daily life and how to do these things that, you know, before I didn't know how to do, like, I didn't know how to cope with it. But for me, I think there's still like a stigma because even though I still have to go to work, I can't do my job because no one is comfortable enough for me to do my job. So it's like, I'm still being like watched and um, I feel like a burden because here I am and I can't do my job, but yet I have to go into work and I have to be watched. Mm -hmm. Like I can't be left alone because they're afraid that I'm going to do something. Right. Now they're only afraid because you came out asking for help for uh, PTSD and mental health, right? Right. Not, not so much for, oh, you're a woman. It's more about like, oh, we need to watch it because you're mentally unstable is what they're trying to say. Right. And because of all of this and because I like stayed in the hospital and I have PTSD and I have trauma and I have anxiety and I have depression and like I have all of this stuff and I like saw a psychologist and I'm being med boarded which is basically a process where they view all of my medical records and they determine whether or not if I'm medically able to stay in. If I'm medically able to stay in, then I'll stay in. But if I'm not medically able, they'll discharge me and I'll get like an honorable discharge and I'll get like benefits from that. Like I'll get insurance and um, they said I would be part of a wounded warrior project thing where it teaches you job training and they like get you into a job, etc. So it like, it helps you, but that's not what I want. But you know, I don't get a say in that. Um, that's not my choice. That's people who are higher pay grades than me who sit down, go through my records and determine if I can stay in. So, and it's basically people who don't know you. Yeah. They just read a file and then they determine. That just doesn't um, although seem I, fair. No, I don't feel like it's fair because I've been in five years. I've never made a mistake. I've never got written up. I've never failed anything. I've never been late. You know, like I do my job. I do it exceptionally well. I mean, I love my job. And so I take it very seriously. But now that I've, I have these mental health issues and I've sought help, like none of that matters anymore. And so I just, I, I don't think that's fair. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, especially because you've dealt with it silently. And now that you're asking for help, they're like, okay, well, let's review your whole medical history. Well, wait a minute. You weren't reviewing it when I was fucking knocking it out of the park. Right. <laughs> well, I hope that everything turns out the way that it should for you. And I was going to ask you a little bit more, but I know that we're out of time. And it was it was more about like the military and how you feel that they're treating you. But it, it, it seems like it's just beginning with the therapy that they want you to start having. And hopefully they'll take into consideration that you've been dealing with it. It's just it's finally gone to a point where you need help. Right. Um, I'm just hoping that 
they see the person and not the diagnosis because I feel like and these are people who are doctors like they're not you know just like regular people they're medical professionals but um, when you're reading charts and like medical records of people like you don't see the person you see the diagnosis Um, and so I'm hoping that they see the like that I'm hoping they see the person and not the diagnosis (laughs) yes Is there any other type of awareness that you would want to spread? Like, is there a hotline? Is there a a website or anything like that? Anything that I can add on to the show notes? Like, so there is a website and it's called military one source, but I say that lightly because they don't help reserve and national guard. They only help active duty. Okay. Um, so, so they would help yeah. uh, um, active duty, but not National Guard and not um, veterans? Um, there's a whole different, so the VA, any VA clinic will help veterans. Um, but as far as like, like getting help, mental health help for like Guard and Reserve, Military One Source isn't it. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? I don't, unless you have questions. Well, you know, just the only other comment that I do have is, um, had I not known, because once I started, once I joined TikTok, then I saw you on TikTok and you were more vocal about it on TikTok. And so I just wanted to make a comment that I I wouldn't have known that um, you treated your daughter any different. I thought that it was, um, I, I didn't know what to think, but well, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I just saw you as a mom, as a mom who was just trying to do what she could for her kids and being a single mom, I kind of got the idea that you were happier divorced than married. So I thought that's cool <laughs> right. for her. That's awesome. And just that, like, I think you're doing what, what you're doing is very graceful. I'll tell you that much. You may, <laughs> you're funny. And I know, like, I'm, I'm just thinking of your tattoo and I'm thinking, oh, I just called her graceful, but you are graceful in the way that you've handled this out into the public. Because I mean, as much as we try to be private, we're just, you know, the social media, we're just out there in public. Right. So that's all I wanted to say. Oh, very sweet. Thank, thank you. Are you, did you mention my tattoo? Are you talking about my cow and chicken one? Yeah, that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a shock for everybody. Like no one thought I was going to get that and I got it anyway. Um, But yeah, so like no one really knew that I, you know, that I treated my daughter any differently. Like you're not Mm -hmm. the only one to say that Yeah. Um, because I I don't treat her any differently. Um, You know, I've made a point to not treat her any differently just because, I mean, regardless of like how she was conceived she is my daughter and I would never like take that out on her or like treat her any differently because of it. Um, and so, you know, I've made it my goal in life to like make sure that I or like anybody else, like that they treat her like any normal child mm-hmm. because that's exactly what she is, a normal child. Yes. Well, thank you so much, um, Ash. I really appreciate the time that you took to talk about your story. I know that this is all still, it. I feel like it's still fresh for you because you're just now getting the help that you need. Yes. <laughs> and you're doing great, sweetie. <laughs> However you need to do it, you're doing uh-huh. it amazing. Thank you. 
you. I appreciate that. It, it means a lot coming from you. Of course. Thank you, Ashlyn. Of course. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, share it with a mom friend. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe to Chapters of Motherhood podcast. You can rate and review on Apple Podcast. You can leave me a voicemail message on Anchor FM. Also, make sure to follow me on Instagram at Chapters of Motherhood or Twitter at Mother Podcaster. Thank you so much for listening. I am your host, Veronica. Tune in each week to find your chapter of motherhood.